As we move to the text this morning, I am going to be uh, talking about baptism. And as I do that, I just wanted to, to I guess, say a note that if, uh, if you're from a Baptist background and, um, and, and or still think that way as you're here or you're visiting this morning that way, uh, we have nothing but respect and love for our Baptist brothers and sisters. So I hope what I say doesn't offend and simply making the case in, in our direction and I do think it's helpful. What I do want to happen is that whether in the end you agree or not agree, you know, that you would see, you know, for sometimes I, as I sit down with folks who, who don't understand where we come from, um, they often, I don't understand, you know, they're, we're Bible-believing Christians, so I don't understand how you guys believe this, you know, kind of thing. And, and the reality is the church has believed it and practiced it for thousands of years. And through the Reformation, Luther and Calvin did not see it as something that needed to be reformed. And Wesley, as he, in his fiery, uh, you know, reformation uh, and evangelical awakening, didn't see it as something that needed to be. And great portions of Christendom have believed and practiced it. So let me give you just a little bit this morning of both um, of why we do believe that, coming out of this text of Scripture, but then also, and I hope where you ultimately will land on whether you believe that or not, is that, that it would bring home into our hearts what what baptism or circumcision, as we're going to see, signifies ultimately is a spiritual change in your own heart and life, something that we all share in common. So look at the text. We're just in two verses this morning, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Hear then the word of God. Paul says that in him that is in Christ, in Christ you were circumcised with a circumcision that was made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. And we ask this morning as we come to it that you would open our hearts and minds, that we may receive it we may hear your voice in it, and that it may challenge and deepen and strengthen our love and our passion for you. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul makes this statement in, in verse 11 that in some ways should, you know, startle or at least capture the attention of every New Testament Christian, because Paul tells you as a New Testament Christian that you've been circumcised. Why? Have we been thinking, you know, for many of us, the thought would be that's an Old Testament thing. It's an Old Testament sign, and I don't know why, you know, he would be telling us, we've moved on, you know, in the New Testament to these things. Why is Paul telling us, you know, that you've been circumcised, which goes back to the earliest pages of the Old Testament. And it touches on, this statement touches on one of the most difficult issues in biblical interpretation that we wrestle with, whatever background that you're in, and that is the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? The relationship between those Testaments. Many of the differences that we wrestle with in between denominations, and not just the issue of baptism, but there as well, is, is a wrestling over this issue, the relationship of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because there's both some continuity and some discontinuity between those two Testaments, right? There's a discontinuity, which means that some things have changed. and We can begin to make a list of those things that we know have changed. But there's also continuity, 
which means that there are some things that haven't changed and other things that though they have changed have a great deal of connection to the Old Testament and what went before. And it's new, but it's only new in a certain kind of a way. So Jesus, in celebrating the, the, the last Passover together with his disciples, as he celebrates it, he changes it. He doesn't do away with it, so to speak, but he transforms it. He changes it. All right? And it turns into what we celebrate now as the Lord's Supper. Right? It was a sign, the Passover, a sign of the deliverance of God's people from slavery. And he takes the Lord's, and turns it into the Lord's Supper, which is still a sign, but of the ultimate deliverance of God's people from slavery, from the slavery to sin. And so it is this ultimate deliverance that it, that it now pictures for us as we share it this morning, this deliverance from slavery, but there's no more blood. And in that way, it's changed. We still celebrate that deliverance that God has, a saving deliverance, but there's no more blood. The Passover lamb has once and for all been slain, and so it becomes bloodless, but the sign is changed and still signifies, in a sense, the same thing, the deliverance of God. Now, there are two sacraments, and we know that the Lord's Supper has this continuity that what went before all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament, and really to understand the Lord's Supper, in some ways you've got to understand that continuity with what went before. But what about baptism? Is there any continuity? Is it now for something completely different that has nothing to do or no connection with what came before? Or does it? And for those who practice infant baptism, we believe it has continuity with something that went before. We believe that baptism and circumcision are both signs that point to the same thing. And so that's the continuity. The sign has changed, just like the sign has changed, but it points to the same thing. An inward change of the heart. And that's what both signs point to. You know, signs, are, are, signs point to things. Like we finally got our new sign finished out here. Right? A lot of it, nobody is happier than Doug Jones, right? But we're all happy, right? We're all happy as a new, and it's a totally new sign. But you know that it points to, to the same thing. You know, if you go in there, you know who's going to be in there. Hickson Presbyterian Church, you're going to be in there. You know, and the sign has changed, but what's inside is the same. It points to the same thing. Circumcision points to the same thing baptism does. It has continuity with what went before it. So just as the Lord's Supper replaces the Passover meal, we believe that baptism replaces circumcision and that there's a continuity between them. And if there is a continuity between circumcision and baptism, it helps us to make the case for baptizing our children. Because circumcision, even though it's signed a righteousness of faith, and a saving relationship with God by a renewed heart, and that's what it signified, we're going to look at that, it was placed on the children of believers for thousand, over a thousand years. The sign was put on the children. And if there's continuity between the signs and they point to the same thing, we believe there is a continuity of its application in the life of the church. And so we go to Paul's bold assertion that in him, in Christ, you were circumcised. How can this be? New Testament Christians, how can this be? And he's, what he is saying is that the reality that was circumcision, the reality continues. Whatever it was, whatever it meant, it continues. Continuity. 
that God is doing the same thing. The reason it continues is that physical circumcision was only an outward sign pointing to a saving relationship with God. That's what it was pointing to. The physical sign of circumcision pointed to an inward spiritual reality that is the inward change of a person's heart. That's what it signified. That's what it pointed to. Look at Deuteronomy verse 6. It says that the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that, right? So first of all, it's something that God does, right? In the Old Testament and the New, circumcision of the heart is something God does. It's a a surgery that he performs on our hearts. So it's a spiritual work that he performed. What does the surgery accomplish? So that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, that you may live. So God does heart surgery that changes your heart from a heart that doesn't love him, that doesn't obey him, that doesn't follow him. And he he does a surgery that he calls a circumcision, a cutting away of a sinful part of your heart so that you will love him, and you will follow him. And he says, so that, and the second thing that it accomplishes, he says, so that you will live. And he doesn't mean so that you won't be dead anymore, or I'm not going to kill you tomorrow, but he's, it, he's talking about a spiritual, eternal life. I mean, when our hearts change to tr- love and trust God with all of our heart and soul, that is the essence of eternal life that our lives are standing before God, our hearts toward God have changed. And it's a saving change. When God changes the heart, it results in a wholehearted, whole-souled love for Him. And that is what we call being born again. Right? Just to tie it to another New Testament phrase. What do we mean when we say, you know, we're a born-again Christian? I mean, it's a difference between a Christian that Goes to, a person that goes to church and is involved in churchy things, right, who lives in a Christian community, so to speak, you know, Christendom, right? It differentiates somebody who, who does the church thing from somebody who has a real heart for God, whose life has seen radical change, someone who has been born again, right? And when we say somebody's been, when a heart goes from not loving God or being you know, ho-hum about, you know, and, and involved to being wholehearted and whole-souled love for God. We say they have been regenerated. They've been born again. Ezekiel 36, 26 ties them together. I'm going to give you a new heart. Heart surgery. Cut away the old dead flesh of your old heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. One that loves me, whole-souled loves me. And a new spirit I'll put in you. It's a spiritual work. And a new spirit I will put in you. A spirit, again, of love to me. I'm going to fill you, baptize you with a spirit. I'm going to give you a new heart and fill you with a new spirit, my spirit. And I'm going to remove your heart of stone from your flesh. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I'm going to take your dead heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to cause you to be born again. Regenerate, right? I'm going to take your, heart, your dead heart. And I'm going to give you a new heart. Right? I'm going to do heart surgery, a spiritual work in the hearts of his people. Right, So physical circumcision is only an outward sign of an inward grace. 
It was only a sign. It was only something that pointed to something else. And what it was pointing to was the inward grace of a new and changed heart, a new birth, a new life so that you will live, which is exactly what the New Testament says about circumcision. In Romans chapter 4, it's interesting when Paul wants to explain what it means to be saved by faith through God's grace alone, and he wants to explain it. He doesn't root around and start thinking for an example, like, what could I use to explain this to people? You know, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He goes to the beginning of the Old Testament and says, look at Abraham. You want to understand what it looks like to have a heart changed and to put your faith in God, your faith and your love and your trust, and to have a wholehearted, whole-souled posture toward God this way. If you want to understand what that looks like, he says, look at Abraham. He believed God. He had a heart of faith. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He had a saving relationship with God. He had a right standing, a righteousness before God. This is what Romans 4 verse 11 says about circumcision. He says, he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, but it was only a sign pointing to something. Pointing to what? The righteousness that we have by faith, a right standing with God. We have a right standing with God when our hearts have been changed to hearts of faith and love toward Him. And we are declared righteous in His sight on the basis of what Christ and what Christ alone has done for us. But it marks the righteousness of faith. That is a right standing with God. God gave Abraham an outward sign of a new righteousness, a salvation, a new heart. So here it is. Physical circumcision is an outward sign pointing to an inward circumcision. That's all it is. Points to an inward one. And that one, he says, still happens. Happened to you. You experienced it. So physical pointed to an inward circumcision. And inward circumcision is the work of God's Spirit resulting in a saving change of heart, of love and faith toward God. That's what the surgery accomplished. It was a physical circumcision that is an outward sign of a heart that has already been made righteous by faith. That's what it is. That's all it did. It pointed to something that is a heart already been made righteous by faith. That's what it points to. And that still happens. And the question is, do we have no sign for this, for salvation, for what God does in saving our hearts, the surgery he does to give us a heart of love for him when he saves us. If, you know, we have the Lord's Supper carries forward and, our, and, and this, this ultimate work of God in saving us and changing us from the inside out. We've stopped signing it. We no longer give it a mark. We just assume it's happened. No, we still mark it, don't we? When somebody knows they have been declared righteous before God by faith and they have a new right standing with him, they do mark it. Reality is still happening. And there's a new sign pointing to what's inside. But there is a sign. See, if you're a Christian, you have experienced the same inward change of heart that Abraham did and any saved person from Adam until the end of time. If anybody was saved, he was saved by an inward surgery of God where he comes in and he changes the heart so that it will love him wholeheartedly and whole-souled and lives, has life eternally in his saved. If it was Adam or Abraham were saved, that's how they were saved. And God says from the earliest pages of the Old Testament, this is the surgery that I do. 
And it's a surgery that he still does. And you've experienced it if you are a Christian. And the reality behind the sign, this inward change of heart to love and obey and trust God by faith is the same. And this inward reality of the new changed heart is the essence of all true religion. Old Testament and new. All the rest of it is trappings. The buildings, the chairs, the pews, the pulpits, the, you know, all the other stuff, whatever it is, all the rest of it is trappings, expressions. The essence of all true and saving religion is a matter of the heart, heart of love and faith to God. This is what Paul says in Romans 2.29 when he talks about it, Old Testament and for me, crosses to the new. A Jew is one outwardly, every Christian is, uh, that's the point. A Jew is one outwardly, I'm sorry, I do read. <laughs> a Jew is one inwardly, right? In other words, let's define it, you know. A Jew, doesn't matter your pedigree, doesn't matter who your parents were, doesn't matter what country you were born in, doesn't matter, you know, whatever else. A Jew is one inwardly or he's not one. So Paul, you know, read Romans 9, he says the same thing. You know, not everybody who is a son of Abraham is a son of Abraham. You know, there's a spiritual Israel. That there is a Jew is one who is one inwardly. And circumcision, let me define it for you. Don't get it confused with the outward sign that goes on. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. Always has been and still is for you and for me, according to Paul in 2, verse 11. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Something that God does. And the essence of all true religion is this, this is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. A new heart of love and faith toward God. And so it's true in the New Testament. If you could put that back up there. Can you do that for me? Um, you can change this. And I don't think you got this one. So I, 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 there it is. You did do it. Marvelous. They're way ahead of me. So you could change, you know, where a man, a Jew is one who is inwardly and to simply say a Christian is one inwardly or he's not one. Right? She's not one. A, Jew, a Christian is one who is inwardly and baptism is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. We understand that the baptism of water is nothing but a picture of the baptism of the Spirit. And if the baptism of the Spirit has happened, then that change of heart has happened. And if it hasn't happened, then, then you're not a Christian. right? It is the baptism of the Spirit, the inward spiritual reality that matters. And so a Christian is one who is one inwardly, who has experienced his inward baptism of the Spirit, change of heart, not by the letter. They're interchangeable. Because the sign has changed, but the reality is the same. The change of heart described in verse 11, how does he describe it? He says, in him you're circumcised with the circumcision, made without hands, it's spiritual, by the putting off of the body of the flesh. So Paul uses flesh in the theological sense, right? He says, the putting off of the body of the flesh, a cutting away of the body of the flesh, a removal of it, and the body of the flesh in a the theological sense is just the old self, the old sinful self, the life apart from God. And so he, he cuts away, the surgery he does is that, that old self, he cuts away and he gives you a new self, fills you with this, baptizes you with his spirit and plants a new life in you. And so it is a he says, a cutting away, a putting away of the old self, the whole body of sin, the self under the sinful nature. That's why the NIV, when it translates that sentence, it says, your whole self that was ruled by the flesh, by sin, was put off. 
when you were circumcised by Christ, when he did that surgery on your soul. It's the same thing that he's saying in Romans chapter 6 when he's talking about baptism and what happens in baptism. We know that the old self, the whole body of flesh, was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, cut away, removed, put off, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, but we would have a new heart and a new spirit within us to live for Christ, a heart of love to him, a heart of obedience and faith. It's a spiritual act done without hands. And then interestingly, and you do need to see, and we, the connection that, that, that Paul makes, he says you were, by the circumcision of Christ, not made without hands, by the circumcision of Christ having been baptized, having been buried with him in baptism. Right? It was a circumcision done without hands, having been buried with him in baptism. Another way to say that is to say that you were circumcised when you were baptized. The baptism was the knife that accomplished the circumcision, right? It was the knife of the soul that, you know, was the baptism of the spirit that, that puts off, fills you and cuts off your old self and your new person in Christ. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is what unites us to him. And this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, and here and in Romans 6 as well. It's the baptism of the Spirit, and even Baptist theologians will tell you, because it cannot be the baptism of water, because that would prove too much. He says that in baptism, what happens is, in baptism, you were buried with Him, and you were raised with Him by a mighty working of God to the new life that He experiences says, all this happened in your baptism, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because in the Holy Spirit's coming, he unites, the Spirit unites you to the saving work of Christ, his death and his resurrection for you. So that you, when he died, you died. And when he rose, you rose. And when he sat at the right hand of the Father, he seated you together with him in heavenly places. This is all accomplished by the spiritual baptism of the Spirit that unites us as a people and makes us his body. Right? That's what he's talking about. It's a spiritual baptism. But you were circumcised when you were baptized. And circumcision, the inward work, was signed with an outward circumcision. And the inward baptism is also signified with an outward baptism. If the baptism of the Spirit has accomplished this surgery in your soul, we mark it. So let's just, so what, for a few minutes, a couple of minutes. I believe that it's, it's quite clear that the reality continues and that the marks, the signs have changed. In the Old Testament, the change to a heart of faith which loves and obeys God and therefore is righteous in his sight is marked by circumcision. That sign that of a parent, of a believing parent's faith in righteousness was commanded for th over a thousand years to be put on your children. And in the New Testament, we see that this change to a heart of faith which loves and obeys God and is therefore righteous in his sight is also marked by baptism. And we believe that we are as inclusive or more inclusive in the New Testament and that, that our children, in the same way, we put the sign of a believing parent's faith on their children.
and that God created works in the midst of families and communities, and he has always done it this way. Both of them point to the internal saving work of God, the giving of a new heart of faith. And so the first application would be, if you haven't had your children baptized, I would encourage you to consider it. To consider putting the mark of what God does, and that's what it is. It's a soul surgery that only God can do. That's what the outward sign marks. We're not, we're not marking something we did. I think it's one of the great mistakes in the application of baptism in the Christian church is that we often put it forth as, as a sign of what I did and putting my faith in him. When I think biblically and scripturally, it actually is a sign of what he did in baptizing us with his spirit, the knife that cuts away the sinful nature and changes us and causes us to be born again. It's a sign of the cleansing and renewing work of the Holy Spirit poured out on his people. So we can improve, as the, the old divines would say, improve our baptism. That means that saying when we see a child, I point here because we usually do it right here. Uh, when, when we baptize a child, it says you can improve baptism at every time it is, it is celebrated in the life of the church. Because when you see a baptism, just like the Lord's Supper where he said, do this in remembrance of me. I believe there's more, there's a real communion going on, but it's not less than doing this in remembrance of him. And I believe baptism is the same way when we see it celebrated and the sign is placed on another child in our midst. It's a, he says, do this and we should do it in remembrance. We too should be brought to mind. The inner circumcision, that inner baptism of the Spirit of Christ, the soul surgery that he did on me that brought me into this community. That saving work of God that only he can do. Delivering us from the power of sin, the washing and renewal of the Spirit. And so in, in baptism, we can, even in those moments, there's a real communion where we too can draw near to the saving power of Christ and the work of His Spirit in our lives to which it is assigned. Baptism of the Spirit, which changes our hearts unites us to the saving work of Christ. And this definitiveness of it is one of the great so what's of it all. So once you put the signs aside, the reality remains. Whatever you believe about the sign, the reality remains, right? The, that which it signifies is this uniting to the saving work of Christ, that a definitive change has taken place. He says that you were circumcised not with hands, but this body of flesh was put off by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him. And that is the definitive truth of you. You've been buried. When he was buried, when he died, you died. And the, the whole body of sin and your slavery to it. When he died, you died. And when he rose, you rose. And the same spirit that raised him from the dead has been, you've been baptized in that spirit. And he says that spirit raises us to a new life. The hope and prospect of a new life lived in him. That's why Romans 6 verses 11 and 12 says, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider this definitive work to be done. Consider yourselves Think this way every day. Start having this mind in you that, that the whole body of sin has been put away and it is no longer your master. You're dead to it as Christ died to it. 
And you are alive unto God in Christ Jesus, even as he was raised from the dead to a new life. That we are alive and awake to him. And therefore, we don't have to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. We have the ability to rise up by faith, abiding in Christ, filled with his spirit, according to the good work that he has begun, that he will carry forward as we abide with him and walk with him. That we won't have to obey its passions. We are, behold, anyone in Christ is a new creation. If we neglect to think this way and to understand the definitive nature of the work and to think this way every day, that you should get up every morning and consider yourself dead to sin and alive unto God in Christ. And today, I will not in my mortal body obey it. I have a new master and a new king and a new spirit within me and a new heart and a new life. That's why Paul in Ephesians 4, he says this, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and it's corrupt through your deceitful desires, right? Put it off. In one sense, it's been definitively done in Christ. And then he says that, you know, while it, some of that power, it still remains. We struggle with it. It does not reign. Do not let it reign in your mortal body, he says. So put off every day. This is our job to consider yourselves dead to sin. That means to put it off. It's, it's part of an old life. And he says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to be filled afresh today with the spirit and put on your new self, your new definitive self created in the likeness of God and true holiness and righteousness. This is who we are definitively in Christ. And so let us put off and let us put on as a daily process the reality that circumcision and baptism mark the definitive work of God. To daily abide in Christ and to reconsider dead to sin and alive to God. My friends, the Christian faith is first and foremost an inward reality. And if it's not that, I don't care what mark you put on your body. It's first and foremost an inward reality of a changed heart, of faith and love and obedience to God. The inward reality of a new heart and nothing else is the essence of all true religion. Which is why the writer of Proverbs tells us to keep the heart with all diligence. For from it flow the very springs of life. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you did not leave us as you found us, but that you came with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the Gospel of Christ, and you did heart surgery on us. You cut away the old nature and our, our fallen slavery to sin and you came in and you took our heart of stone and you gave us a heart of flesh. Oh, Father, help us to consider ourselves dead to sin but alive unto you every morning and every day that we might experience the fullness and newness of life that you intend. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.